Nations Podcast, October 23rd, 2016. Welcome, one and all, to the FC Podcast. I'm Bobby, your tour guide, as always, for all things FC. It's raining like crazy outside, the world is wet and dark for the time being, and I am sitting cozily at my desk in athletic shorts, waiting for my coffee to brew. Seems like as good a time as any to let you know what's happening right now at Foundations Church. November 6th is a big day here at FC. The plunge, our baptism service, will be a huge deal that morning. Right after second service, we'll have our meeting for anyone interested in going to Ethiopia with us early next year. It's an informal thing, just come if you're interested. Then that evening, it's college day, or night, whatever. I don't really have much of a pitch for this one except that free food and table tennis are pretty awesome. Hey, college kids! <laughs> November 12th is men's breakfast. Here's your chance to man up and order all of the bacon and eggs we have. Remember to RSVP on the website if you're interested. Ron Swanson would be proud. Lastly, we'll have worship night and communion on November 18th. This is my favorite thing that we do, so don't miss out on a chance to worship God unimpeded and without time limits. All right, without any further ado, I present to you a very special guest. A man who needs little to no introduction. A man with biceps like the rolling hills of southwest Oklahoma. A man who once got on camera on the Today Show holding a sign that says, Hi, Mom. A man with nerves of steel, a heart of gold, and a slight but inconvenient food allergy. Our very own youth pastor, Michael Ballard. Yes, with the, the uh, universal woo as the I'm doing great symbol, I'm glad you guys are here today. Uh, my name is Michael Ballard, I'm the student ministries director. Um, pastor Justin is spending some time with his family, which is awesome. Um, I love working for that man, the same guy that you see here on Sunday morning, the same personality um, and craziness is the same guy that we get to hang out with every day when we come to work. And so it's cool to work for somebody like that uh, who is just genuine and authentic all the way around. Um, and so he'll be back next week wrapping up Uh, the series that we're in, I Love God, but um, real quick, uh, some of you guys may have noticed if you've been paying attention to the slides on the screen, um, we used to have something called Voltage Student Ministries, which has now changed um, a few weeks ago to FC Students, Um, and some of you guys are like, well, that's fantastic, get on with it, but um, I will tell you why we changed uh, the name. If you look at all the different ministries that we do here at Foundations Church, Um, Our men's ministry is FC Men. Our women's ministry is FC Women. Uh, We have a foster care ministry. That's FC Fosters. Does anyone care to guess what our children's ministry is called? FC Kids. Yeah, there it is. I heard FC Children's. Close enough. FC Kids. Um, Yeah. And so what I said was, you know, I want the youth ministry to come into alignment with what we are doing as a whole here at the church. Um, I absolutely love this church. And so I want our youth ministry to be um, in alignment with with that. And so we said, um, we're going to change the name to FC Students. And with that comes a clear direction, a clear sense of values. Um, And if you walk out of here, whenever you leave, um, I hope you don't walk out in the middle of me speaking because I I hurt my feelings and I'll go home and cry. But um, you'll see the values on the wall. And we believe that uh, when students come here that don't know Jesus, we believe that the lost will become found. Um, We believe that as they grow in their relationship with Christ, um, they're going to change. We believe that uh, those found students are going to find students. They're going to go to their schools and those people that um, their friends that need to know Jesus, they're going to bring them here. We believe that we're better together. So that's why we do connect groups a couple times a month, and we believe that um, save people, serve people. And so if you'll go down the hall uh, after service, you will also see students volunteering and FC kids all up and down the hallway and on Wednesday nights as well. And so we said, you know, we want our youth ministry to be in alignment with the church. We want our vision and values to be in alignment with the church. And so that's why we changed our name. And if you 
have a student that's in 6th through 12th grade or you know somebody, whether it's a niece or a nephew or a neighbor or whatever, um, I want to invite them to come on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock. We have an awesome time. This past Wednesday, we went um, camping. Uh, we had a fall retreat, and we escaped with uh, minor injuries, which was great. Um, we, uh, we're doing a costume party this upcoming Wednesday. Um, we're doing a Thanksgiving dinner uh, in a few weeks. And so, and I'm sure some of you guys are like, do you do anything with Jesus? And uh, let me tell you that, like I hear all these things, but um, every time we, we present the students a chance uh, to encounter the message and hope and love of Jesus Christ. And so um, all of that is centered around, it's just we, we create a fun environment where students uh, can engage uh, Jesus in, on their level. They can have a, a, um, a message that's tailored for them. And so if you know somebody um, whether you have a kid or somebody that you know, uh, bring them on Wednesday nights. It's a lot of fun. We have a really, really good time. Uh, today, though, we are finishing, not finishing, we're continuing our, ser- our series, I Love God, But. And today it's I Love God, But I Want Control. Do we have anybody in here that would say I tend to try to take control. Yes, loud and proud, which I'm surprised that you guys are raising your hands because uh, my thought process was if I ask you that question, you'd be like, I'm not in control. I'm not going to raise my hand because that's what you're telling me to do. And I'll raise my hand when I want to raise my hand, not because you asked me to. Um, But everyone knows that the first step to recovery is admitting you have a problem, right? And so we all have a little bit of a control problem. It just may be to what degree uh, that, that takes uh, effect. But um, we love God, but we want control. We love God, but we want control. Let me tell you a story um, about myself and just get to know Michael time right here, just so you guys may not know me. Um, I'm 30. No, I'm just kidding. That's not, I'm not going to bet. But um, before my wife and I moved to Tulsa. We lived in Springfield, Missouri, and we worked. Uh, I worked in a placement facility for at-risk teenagers. So they'd been pulled out of their homes uh, for different reasons: child abuse, neglect, um, drug abuse, whatever. And so they had pulled out of their homes, and they were put in this uh, treatment placement facility. And and so we have, you know, seven different homes on the location, and they they house uh, different genders and different ages. So you may have like a house that has like elementary boys and a house that has teenage girls. I got the joy of working with teenage girls for a year and a half. Um, I, yes, and you should be laughing. Um, uh, that wasn't necessarily my first choice. Uh, the reason I took that particular job is because it was full-time and I got insurance and I needed insurance for me and my wife. That's why I took the job, um, but I ended up loving it. I worked with two other ladies uh, that were fantastic and we did our best to provide like a home type feel for those girls. Uh, we knew it wasn't their ideal situation. And so we would uh, make breakfast for them like on Saturday mornings. They were provided the meals, but it was kind of just cafeteria food. But we would try to do like a home, homemade breakfast on Saturdays. We would take them to the park. We took them to like a baseball game. We would take them to the movies. And so one night we said, hey, let's do a movie night. Let's, uh, let's get popcorn. Let's get snacks. Um, they can just hang out in the living room and watch a movie and just kind of be normal teenage girls uh, for, for a night. And so um, I went and got the snacks, and I went and got the movie Saving Mr. Banks. Has anyone heard of it or seen Saving Mr. Banks? Just show of your hand. Raise your hand. Some of you guys have. Okay, I see more hands. Um, it's a good movie. It's a clean movie, family-friendly. Go check it out. It's an awesome movie. Um, so I get back to the house, and I realize that while I was gone, the girls wanted to watch something else. And I was like, okay, no big deal. That's fine. Um, you know, if you want to watch something else, I don't, you know, do it. That's fine. Um, so I said, what do you guys want to watch? And they said, oh, we found this movie on Netflix called In Love with a Church Girl. Has anyone seen In Love with a Church Girl? 
That's kind of what I thought. And there's a reason why. It's a terrible movie. Um, uh, it's, it just is. Um, I made this little graphic here so you can kind of see side by side. Let's just look who it stars. It stars uh, Ja Rule and Stephen Baldwin. Um, ja Rule uh, got his start in like the mid to late 90s as a hip-hop artist. And uh, Stephen Baldwin isn't even the best actor in his family. So that should tell you something um, right there. And then you look on the other side, Emma Thompson, Paul Giamatti, Tom Hanks. Uh, Colin Farrell's also in that. The cast of In Love with the Church Girl won a combined uh, 19 awards. Not for that movie, just like over their career, they've won a combined 19 awards, and none of them are like Oscars or Golden Globes. It's just random awards. Uh, the cast of Saving Mr. Banks has won a combined 203 awards, um, including, I believe it's eight Golden Globes and four Oscars. So just the cast alone, if I were to take away this image up here and you were just to see the cast, um, you would start to realize that, you know what, this uh, first movie may not be all that it's cracked up to be. Then you looked at how much each one made, uh, $3.1 million as opposed to almost $141 million. Um, it was in theaters a little over a month as opposed to almost four months. Uh, opened in 600 screens, opened in 2,600 screens. And I don't think In Love with a Church Girl was nominated for anything, um, except, uh, no, I was not going to say anything. Um, and then <laughs> Saving Mr. Banks uh, was nominated for 72 awards and won 12 awards. If you take those images away off the screen and you just look at those stats, which one are you going to go with? You're going to go with the one on the right, correct? Just, unless you're just like, I love terrible movies. I want to go with that one. Um, but you're going to go, they're immensely better. And, and I tried to tell the girls, I said, hey, this movie's way better. You've never seen this movie, Mr. Michael, because they call me Mr. Michael. Because I was like, yeah, that's right, I'm Mr. Michael. Um, but, um, like, you've never seen this movie. And I was like, I don't have to see that movie. It, like, went straight to Netflix, like, it's, as opposed to this one that's won a lot of awards. And they didn't want to hear it. And so they had two movie options. One is not going to make any kind of impact and just kind of blah, whatever. And the other movie is like an award-winning star, like all-star lineup, but they didn't want to hear it. And they chose to watch the other one. And um, I think a lot of times in our lives, when we take control, we're kind of in the same boat. It's like, we have this option here that looks good for a time. It's like, oh, we want to do this. I want to do this. But God's over here saying, hey, I've got this other plan for you that's immensely better. You don't even know how much it's better. Like, I couldn't pull up all these stats because like the movie was still making money at that time. Like I couldn't show them how much better the movie was, but they didn't want to hear it. And a lot of times we're saying, you know what, this is what I want to do. And this is what I, God, you know what, you're an awesome God, don't get me wrong, but I kind of see this area and it looks good right now. And so I want to follow that. God's saying, but there's something so much better on the other side. And whenever we take control, whenever we say, I'm not going to surrender completely to God's plan. What we're saying is that we know what's better for our life than God does. And I don't think any of us are going to stand up here on the stage and say, you know what, God, you created the universe and did some really cool stuff, but I think I know myself a little bit better than you, so just cool your jets over there. Let me do what I want to do. I don't think any of us would say that, but whenever we don't surrender control to God and we want to do our own thing, um, that's exactly what we're saying. We're saying, I know what's better for my life right now than you do, and I'll get to you when I need you. And in Proverbs 14, 12, it tells us this. It says, there's a path before each person that seems right, but in the end, it leads to death. 
There's a path before each person that seems right, but in the end, it leads to death. That first part sounds great, right? It's like, hey, yeah, this looks good. And if you just stop it there, that's, hey, the Bible says there's a path before that seems right, but you catch the tail end of that, and it's not what you want it to be. We may have the best laid plans lined out, and we think we know what we're going to do, and we think we can see the outcome, and we say that if I do A, B, and C, it should equal whatever your desired outcome should be. But how many of you guys know life doesn't always work out that way? right? We can try to do all the things and set everything just right, and this stays here, and this stays here, and this goes here, and oh, my life's perfect. There, I'm just going to back away, and it's good, but the Bible says that that plan leads to death. It doesn't say what kind of death. Um, there's a lot of times I did something stupid, and I'm surprised I'm still alive. Like, my, with my plans, I'm like, hey, I, thank God I'm still alive, um, but it could, be, it could be a spiritual death where, where you follow your own plan so much that your heart becomes so hardened and callous to God that you start moving further and further and further away from God to where eventually you don't even feel the Holy Spirit convicting you and the Holy Spirit pulling you and you say, you know what, that's, nope, I'm doing my own thing. It could be death of a job where you kind of operate in that morally gray, that ethically gray area, and you fudge some numbers here and there to try to get things to line out how you want them to line out to maximize your profits. And come tax audit time, you have some problems because you weren't completely honest. Or you look at some of the bigger companies. Um, it happened when I was younger, but Enron with those insider trading and boosting profits, and that didn't work out so well from them. It seemed right at the time, but it didn't work out so well. It could be the death of a relationship. Friendships, boyfriend and girlfriend, marriage, whatever it is where God has placed someone in your life, but instead of following a God-honoring relationship, you do things the way that you want to do, and that relationship ends up dying off because you weren't obedient to the plan God has for us. The Bible doesn't say what kind of death. It just says that what seems right to us is the exact opposite. It's not right for us at all. And that's probably one of the more frustrating things about giving control to God is that we don't always see the outcome. And honestly, very rarely do we see the outcome. Sometimes it's years down the road where we see the effect of God's plan start to take place. If we could see that all the time, it'd be easy to surrender complete control to God, right? If we could tell that, hey, I know that in two weeks, I know that in a month, this is gonna be the exact outcome, and so I'm gonna follow God's plan. It'd be easy to do that but it's not that way. And in Isaiah 55, it tells us this. It says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are, my, are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. We don't even operate mentally on the same universe as God. No matter how smart we think we are, no matter how well thought out our plans may be, they don't come close to touching the plans God has for our lives and the bigness and the greatness he has for our lives. But a lot of times we get up, caught up in wanting to watch In Love with a Church Girl instead of realizing that he's got a way better movie for us over here. We get caught up thinking, hey, this is, this is the outcome. This is, I'm going to take this job because... And I am guilty of those, hey, get, get, rich, uh, get rich quick schemes. Like, I'm like, oh, yeah, let's do this. And it never works out that way, right? I'm like, getting rich quick sounds awesome. Yeah, it does, but it doesn't really work out that way. And God's like, hey, my plan over here is, is better, okay? It'll save you hardship. It'll save you sorrow if you keep your eyes on me. And so a lot of times we say, okay, God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep my eyes on you. I'm going to put my trust in you. 
what? If you don't come through, I'm going to like got my plan B in my back pocket, right? It's like, God, yes, I trust you, but if things start getting a little scary, I've got, I've put some things over here on the side that I'm, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to touch them, God, no, unless I don't like what you're doing. Then I'm going to start trying to manipulate the situation, and we've got this plan B. And giving up control means giving up those plan Bs, means giving up those backup plans that we have. I know that I'm guilty of, and I keep admitting to stuff, and you guys, you guys are like, why is he even up there talking? But um, I'm guilty of either having a backup plan for God or having God as my backup plan. Is anyone, anyone else in that boat where it's like, it's like I'm going to try it, and I know better, but like, if this doesn't work, God's got me. Right? God's got my back, and God's like, Stupid, just follow my plan and everything will be better. But no, we want to keep doing that. We want to hold on to control of whatever area that may be. Um, we give up our plan B when we give up uh, control. And in Matthew 14, through 32 is a story that we're all familiar with. Um, Jesus had just done some incredible miracles and that, that same day. And so it picks up and it says, immediately after this. Jesus insisted that his disciples get back on the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills to pray by himself. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from the land, for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. Uh, in their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once, don't be afraid. Take courage, I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw how strong the wind and waves, um, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped and the disciples worshiped him and exclaimed, you really are the son of God. What I love about this story is um, Peter is there in the boat with the disciples and they're all terrified as well. They should be. Um, these, the boats didn't have like all the gyroscopic like balancing tools that like the big cruise ships have now. Like they were just in the middle of a sea trying to survive and they see a guy just like strolling along on the water. And if their pants weren't already wet from the storms, they probably were after they saw that because they're like, oh, it's a ghost. We're dead. Like it's game over for us. And Jesus is like, hey, guys, calm down. All right. Let's just everyone take, take a chill pill. Slow down. It's me. And so Peter says, hey, if it really is you, tell me to come to you. And he's like, all right, come on. And I love that. It says Peter went over the side of the boat. I'm wondering if he just like hauled off and just jumped in and was like, cannonball, and like just kind of hit the water and was like, whoa, this is kind of cool. Like, I don't know how he got, went over the boat, but it says he went over the boat. Um, what it doesn't say is that he, he was like, hey, Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come to you and I will. He's like, come on. He's like, all right, let me get my water wings on. Let me get, I don't know who these fit, but I'm pretty sure these would be of no use to me. Um, but he's like, let me put my water wings on. Let me get my life jacket on. Uh, when I was little, we had like a vest that had a tube on it um, and we would float in the water. And looking back, I realized that I had like a 50-50 chance of dying because if I went in head first, I was stuck that way. Like I was like legs up. Um, luckily, we weren't allowed to like swim by ourselves with those things on, but 
I realize now how fortunate I was that I'm still alive. Um, but he didn't put on his water wings. He didn't put on his goggles. He didn't put on his little floaties and say, I'm coming, Jesus, right? He didn't do any of that. He didn't have a backup plan. He went over the boat expecting that Jesus would take control, which it started off great. It started off and we're like, and I think we get so caught up of Jesus walking on the water, which is incredible, um, and that Peter walked on the water, which is awesome, that we forget that, hey, he's, he's, looking, he's doing the right things, right? He's keeping his eyes on Jesus, and he's walking on the water. He's walking on the water, but what happens? He gets distracted by the storm. It says when he noticed the waves, when he noticed the wind, he got terrified and took his eyes off Jesus and took his eyes and focused them more on the storm than the one who had the power to calm the storm. And he started to sink and say, help me, Jesus, help me, Jesus. And Jesus is like, come on, get out of there. Quit playing around. We got stuff to do. Like, you of little faith. And we do the same thing. It starts out great. It starts out saying, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to follow your plan. I'm going to keep my eyes on you. I'm going to keep walking on the water. And that job situation's getting a little sketchy. My kids are acting like idiots. I don't know what to do. And so, uh, and we go into panic mode. And that's when we realize that what we thought, we thought we had completely surrendered control to God. We realized that the whole time we had that backup plan in our back pocket saying, oh, my kids are being, I've got to do this. I've got to take care of this. Or I've got to take care of this over here. I've got, I've got this problem over here and I've got to do this. And we take our eyes off Jesus and we put our eyes more on the problems and we start trying to, to manipulate and, and orchestrate the situation instead, in, instead of following the plan that God has set before us. My wife and I sold our house uh, a few months ago and um, we, we'd owned a home in Oklahoma City, and whenever we moved to Missouri, we kept it, and people rented it, and it was good. I mean, like, it was, it was great during that time. They paid their rent, and, and it, was, it was fantastic. Uh, but when we went to sell it, we just listed it for a price, and we thought, hey, we're going to use this money to put for a down payment on our home. We're going to use this money to, to put some furniture in our home, and, um, you know, and so we're, that's, that's what our plans for this home was. Um, so we listed it. A few days later, I think it was two or three days later, we had a contract on it for, for our asking price, um, which if any of you guys have sold a home, you know that that's awesome, right? Um, and so everything's going great, contract signed. Then we go through the whole inspection appraisal process. And if you guys know anything about that, it's a little bit scary at times. And so the appraisal comes in, and it comes in about eight to $10,000 less than what we were asking for it. Um, which our house wasn't like a multi-million dollar home, so we didn't have a whole lot of wiggle room on that. And that taking that much out of our profit was like, what are we gonna do now? Like, we wanna buy a home here in Tulsa. We wanna set roots here in Tulsa. We, want, we wanna be here, but you know, we're not gonna be able to buy a home. We're not gonna be able to, if we buy a home, we're just gonna be living there and like squatters because there's not gonna be, it's like, hey, set up the, the pillow fort in the living room because we don't have a bed to sleep on, you know? And so, um, I was just really frustrated. And during the whole time, um, when the appraisal came through um, and it didn't work out, I felt like my realtor wasn't really working for me. Of course, I'm sure everyone thinks that way when things aren't going your way. And so I called another friend of mine in Oklahoma City who was a realtor. And was, so I had two realtors at kind of at one time, um, which if you're in the real estate business, you're probably like, you jerk right now. So, um, but I was like, hey, what's, is this appraisal set? And he said, no, you can get some comps from other areas. And so I had him pull comps and I gave those comps to my realtor and said, I need you to fix this and get, and she was like, well, I, and she went to him and it, it didn't work. And so anyway, the whole time my situation's like crumbling, uh, you know, I just see like thousands of dollars 
falling between my fingers and I'm like, what is going on? And then we get the inspection report and it's like, here's your inspection report, Mr. Ballard. And it's like this huge book of repairs that need to be done. And I'm like, ugh, it's gonna cost more money. And then a few days later, it's like, oh, by the way, um, I hope you've had a great week, but your buyer's funding fell through. And so we'll see you guys. And so I'm like, what? And so I'm just driving in my car and I, I told Aubrey, I was like, I gotta go for a drive. And I'm just like, God, what are you doing? Why, why are you having this done? And, and I felt God just like slap me in the face because sometimes that's what I need. And he's like, so hold on. Uh, you didn't really pray about like selling your home. So you didn't really include me in the beginning. And now you're blaming me because it's not going the way you want it to. And you're also upset because you're not making enough money. He's like, did you ever think that maybe I have a better plan? That maybe, just maybe that, that you've been blessed now and maybe the way that you got in the home with nothing out of your pocket that maybe I, I want to help somebody else get into a home. Did you ever think of that? It's like, no, God, why would I think of that? I just want money in my pocket. Like, I don't, I don't care what happens to somebody else. Like, I want, I'm looking out for me. And, and it was just one of those moments where um, I look back and, and I had to just take a step back and say, you know what? I'm gonna do everything that I can. I'm gonna make sure the house looks nice. I'm gonna make sure it's taken care of. I'm gonna do everything that I can, but I'm gonna trust God with the results. And there were a lot of times, I think we had two or three other contracts that fell through in that process. And there was every day I... God, I give you control of this. I had to wake up every day and say, no matter what happens, I give you control of this situation because I know that the plan that I had where I saw the certain outcome, I saw, hey, this is what I want. I don't know what you're working on because believe it or not, I'm not the only person in the world and, and this affects, you know, this can affect a lot of people that I don't know about. And so I'm just gonna trust you to take care of it. I'm gonna trust that you have it under control. And I had to wake up every day and remind myself of that. And giving up control has to be a daily choice. It's gotta be a daily choice. Just like when I married my wife, I didn't tell her just one time that I love her, like when we got married and then it was good. Cause she'd be like, wait, hold on. Do you still love me? I'm like, I told you I love you like seven years ago. Calm down, woman. Like, um, so needy. Um, I'm sorry, if you watch this, Aubrey, I love you. Um, but we need to, I think we need to surrender that control to remind ourselves that God's in control. To remind ourselves that, you know what, no matter what happens, that I give God control of this. Whether it's your job or your family or your finances or relationships, that God is in control and that when you follow his plan, it's the plan. It's the plan that we need to follow. Not a backup plan, not plan C, not plan D. It's the plan. And giving up control has got to be a daily choice. Luke 9, verses 23 through 25 says this. And this is Jesus talking. He said, and he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to follow me as my disciple, he must deny himself, set aside selfish interests, and take up his cross daily. Everyone say daily. 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 You guys are just trying to hold on to control. I said, everyone say daily. Come on, guys. Everyone say Daily. Daily, there we go. Um, where oh, I lost my place. There it is. Expressing a willingness to endure whatever may come and follow me, believing in me, conforming to my example in living and if need be, suffering or perhaps dying because of faith in me. For whoever wishes to save his life in this world will eventually lose it through death. But whoever loses his life in this world for my sake, he is the one who will save it from the consequences of sin and separation from God. I love this last verse right here. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, wealth, fame, success, 
Isn't that what we chase a lot of times when we try to control stuff? Try to chase success or fame or wealth. Like that's a lot of times we can, you know, I want my family to be successful. I want my kids to be successful. I want my business to be uh, profitable. I want all the, I want people to know who I am. A lot of times when we try to keep control, that's what we see. And it says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses or forfeits himself. And some, some verses or some passages say, um, if, he, if he forfeits his soul, if he loses his soul. Like, what good is it if you're the master puppeteer, your Geppetto up there, you know, orchestrating everything, but you lose yourself? And it's gotta be a daily choice that you surrender control. Jesus said, you pick up your cross daily. You make a daily decision to follow me Whatever may come, enduring whatever may come, you make a daily choice to follow me. You know, I've never had like multi-million deals, dollar deals cross my desk. I don't have a lot of employees that are, you know, hoping I make the right business decision. I don't have kids who are needing me to put clothes on their back and feed them. You know, I don't, I don't have a lot of things, but I, I have had several experiences that have affected my life. And it's crazy, like I think back and it blows my mind to realize that no matter how many times I've seen God come through in different situations, that when a new situation comes up, I'm like, I got this, God. I got this. Like, God's like, I'm sure God just like, like, come on, Michael. Like, seriously. And it takes me having one of those moments where God just like, hey, he's like shaking me. I'm like, okay, you got my attention now, God. But it seems like no matter how many times I go through that, like I have to completely surrender control to him and know that when I follow his plan, that when I walk in line with him, like Peter was, when I'm keeping my eyes on Jesus and not the storms around me, that everything is, is gonna go how it's supposed to go. And I keep doing that. Every day I make that choice. Every day I say, Jesus, I am following you. I'm giving you control. I'm surrendering control. I'm surrendering control. I'm surrendering. Like you have to put it on repeat sometimes because we want to hold those things so close. It's easy to give him the things that, that are natural, that are going great. You know, it's like, oh, my kids are going great. Yeah, God, you got my kids. Yeah, yeah, you got this. But those finances, like, my bank account's getting low. Let me just take that back real quick and just, like, make sure, just, like, nurse it, you know? I think back to, like, 101 Dalmatians where he's, like, taking care of the little puppy. It's like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna take care of this one. You know, like, this one's my baby. I've got this. But partial surrender is not surrender. I don't know. I've never been in the military, so I could be mistaken. But I believe that if a, an enemy surrenders, they have to completely surrender, right? Like, I, I could be mistaken. I don't know. But I believe, like, if you don't surrender, we're gonna keep fighting. But once you surrender, that's when the enemy like, gives up. And we have to completely surrender to God. We can't partially surrender to him because he doesn't ask, hey, I just want part of your life. I just want the parts that are going good. No, I want all of you. And that verse in Luke, when it talks about whoever loses his life for my sake, that word loses um, in, the, in the translation, in the uh, original Greek language, it means uh, to be destroyed. And what I love about that is that when I read that, I was, I was, it kind of blew me away because I realized you can't control something that's been destroyed, right? You can't, you can't control something if, it's, if it doesn't exist anymore. And so when we give our lives to Christ, it's no longer us living, but Christ through us. And so our lives are pushed aside and we're living for him. And so that's when he has control. 
But if we're not surrendering, then he doesn't have control in our lives aren't lost and we haven't picked up our cross and then we're following our own plans and it just kind of snowballs into the whole thing again. We have got to surrender every part of our lives to him and trust him with the results. Like I said, we, we put in the work and I think the Bible's very clear about not being lazy and making sure we do and um, all that God has called us to do and that we use those gifts and talents and that, um, you know, in those business deals, we, we operate ethically and, and morally and in a way that honors God. And with our kids, we set an example um, of what a real relationship with Jesus looks like, not, not one that, that's different than the other, not a two-faced parent, but one who's, who, we, we do what we need to do, but we trust God with the results. And we trust that his plan is where he wants us to go and that we follow him despite what's happening around us. I'm closing with this, and I get Shannon or someone out here. Um, if we look back at that Peter, was, uh, that story with Peter, um, we realize that it would have taken like zero faith on his part if he could have seen the bottom of the sea, right? If he said, "Jesus, call out to me. If it's you, let me know, and I'll come out there." And Jesus said, "It's me," and he was like, "All right, it's only that deep. I got this." Like if he would have known, like the water's only going to hit him at the waist, and he's like, "If Jesus doesn't come through, I'm going to be okay." Like, it wouldn't have taken any faith because he's like, I can just hop back in the boat, no problem. Or if the waters were calm and there wasn't anything going on, it wouldn't take him any faith either. I mean, it took him some faith to step out, but he kind of lost that when he saw the problems. And I think that's why Jesus is like, you have so little faith. Like, you have a little bit to step out of the water, but when things got scary, um, that's when he lost faith. It's easy to surrender control to God when we can see the outcome. We can see that, hey, this is only gonna be a little bit God, I can, I can deal with this for a month. So is that how long it's gonna be a month? Like, is that what I'm hearing from you? Yes, I'm praying, I think it. That's not, that's not surrendering control. That's just putting up with something for a while. Like, I think we all can put up with some junk for a little bit if we know that it's gonna be over in a couple weeks, right? You're like, I'm going on vacation in three weeks and two days. All I have to do is put up with my boss for that much longer and I hit the reset button. Like, no, that's not surrendering control. What it is, my question to you is, is how willing are we to surrender control when we don't know the outcome of something? When we can't see the end result, when we can't see what's gonna happen, how willing are we to say, God, this is yours and yours alone. I'm taking out my plan Bs and throwing them away. I'm taking out my backup plans and throwing them away. I, I don't know what's best for my life, only you do. God's word says that he knows what we need before we even pray. It says that he takes care of birds in the field and how much more important are we to him than those birds? We have to surrender complete control to him in every area of our life. The scary ones, the good ones, the bad ones, the ugly ones, in every area we surrender control to him. Last week, Pastor Justin read a verse, I believe it's found in 1 Peter, um, that says, cast all of your cares and anxieties on him because he cares for us. I think that means the things we're scared of, the things we're worried about, but I also think it means the things that we care about. And we do all those things because he loves us. And because his plans are so much better than our plans. The movie script that he's written for our life and that we get to enjoy, that gets to come with all uh, the richness and fullness is so much better than our little screenplay that we have written out for our life. 
so many times we take so much pride in what we've done. It's like, it's my baby. This is what I want to do. And God's saying, that's, that's okay, but if you're going to follow me, you've got to put aside those selfish desires and pick up your cross and trust in me. If everyone would bow your heads, I want to ask you guys this question. Ask you before service or before we started, um, how many of you guys have a problem with control? And I was kind of being a little lighthearted with it, but I think we all have some area of our life that's a little bit more difficult for us to surrender control to God than other areas. Is there anyone in here, just with no one looking around, simply raising your hand that would say, you know what, Michael, there's some areas that I'm struggling with really giving control to God. Is there anyone here just by raising your hands? Yeah. Yeah, let me pray for you guys. Father, we come before you today. God, and we know that it is in our nature to be selfish and to look out for ourselves. But the incredible thing with you is that we're a new creation when we give our hearts to you. And so we have a new nature, one that honors you and glorifies you. And I pray that, God, we would be willing to give every area of our life to you. God, knowing that even though we can't see the outcome and we can't see the end result, that you have it figured out and that the story you have for this situation is beautiful, it's honoring. God, it's the plan that we need to follow. I pray that you would just move in our hearts, God, that you would strip away anything that's keeping us from giving complete control to you so that we can walk in a life that honors you, one that leads to life and not one that leads to death. With everyone's head still bad, let me ask you this. Is there anyone in here that says, you know, I hear you talking about giving control of certain areas, but I've never really made that decision to give Jesus my life. I've never surrendered all of me to him and and I, I want to make that decision today to say I want that new life. I want that changed life in Jesus. Is there anyone in here that would raise their hand and say that's me? If you would, I just want maybe you didn't raise your hand and you know you need to and you just need to make that change. I want to pray a prayer and if, if you know that's you, I just want you to repeat it from your heart. Say, Jesus, I love you. I thank you for the sacrifice you made. The sacrifice that provides real life. You gave your life so that I can live. And I'm sorry for not living how you've called me to. I'm sorry for doing things on my own. Today, I give you my whole life. I surrender complete control to you. Change me. Make me new. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, even if you didn't raise your hand, will you... um... Believe, belong, become. Join us in our vision here at Foundations Church. Services are every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 10.45 a.m. And our youth service voltage is every Wednesday at 7 p.m. For more information, you can check us out online at foundationschurch.tv.